Welcome to Speak It On. This program is designed for the edification and entertainment of the listeners and not designed to be representative of a church, nonprofit organization, or denomination. Opinions expressed are solely those of the host. Welcome back, and thanks for listening. So, today, we're going to go a little risky. It used to be said, years ago, the old folks used to say, there's three things you should never talk about in public. Money, religion, and and politics. Yeah. Money, religion, and politics. Well, here we go. We're going to talk about two of the three. And just... And just blow the lid right off of that thing. Let's talk about... Or let's consider... Jesus and politics. Now, what do do I mean by that? Jesus' involvement in politics... That is really something that has been discussed and cussed and, and in fact, is the core of a lot of people's theology. And is, you know, uh, their, their biblical theology, I mean, as far as they're concerned, is 100% their take on Jesus and politics. Now, Here's kind of the addendum, all right? And you can take this for, for what you for what it's worth. In Jesus' day, the structure was uh, basically Rome. Rome was in charge. There was the Pax Romana. Roman peace. Roman peace basically was this. You mess up, you cause chaos, Rome comes and obliterates you. And the peace is restored. Uh, they went by uh, you know, whoever's got the biggest hammer wins. And they had the biggest hammer at the time. Or at least so they thought. And, interestingly enough, if scholars argue, but Rome, as an empire, lasted somewhere around 900 years. That's a long, dang time. So here's the thing. Here's what we're looking at, though. Jesus, was he interested, involved, engaged in politics? Because there are a ton of people who believe, just cold believe, that he was. Not the least of which was Albert Schweitzer, who believed Jesus was something called an apocalyptic sectarian. Which, um, and that's a very, very fancy term, but but in essence, it, it was more like he believed he was the Messiah. Whether he was or not is irrelevant. And then he set aside some, he set forth some events 
to help hasten the end of the age, that kind of thing. But here's the thing. Let's look at a passage real quick, okay? We're going to look at John. John chapter 7, verse 32, and all the way to 36. So it says, The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring, and these things concerned him. Oh, well, excuse me. The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come. Then the Jews said among themselves, Where does he intend to go where we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing he said, You will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come? Now, the issue and the phrase, and there's, there's a, a whole lot in here, but the issue and the phrase I'm focusing on right now is, and the Pharisees and chief priests sent officers to take him. All right, now, what's up concerning Jesus was was he engaged against the political system of the time or was he not? You know, on the one hand, you know, he's seems to be dodging people, and then on the other hand, he's in the temple flipping tables. So, you know, what is it? Well, let's kind of set the stage a sec. All right. We're talking about Rome, and Rome was pretty much in control, as far as they were concerned. And uh, if anything went sideways, they sent a legion in and killed everything. And then there, then it was quiet again. And uh, they were really, really good at it. Really efficient. So here's the thing. And, and part of the reason we don't know a lot of, of, of Jesus' real connection, okay, is that we don't study the Apocrypha, which covers the years in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I'm not saying we cover it as Scripture, although the Catholic Church does say it's Scripture, but I don't happen to agree. I believe it's got some good stuff in, in there and good historical references. But is it scripture? No, no, no. I don't, don't believe that. But here's the thing. If we read that, we would understand the layout. Because it's within that, that period between the Old and New Testaments that the, the Pharisees, uh, you know, surface, the Sadducees surface. Uh, you, you also, by the way, Herod, specifically Herod the Great, the first Herod, the big Herod, the one who was really mean and uh, was an awesome builder who built 
the second temple and the second temple was actually named one of the seven wonders of the ancient world people don't realize that I mean that temple is pretty, pretty wild now here's the thing though most of the leaders paid for their job and it was and it was everything was by the golden rule he who had the most gold ruled and um, you could be high priest as long as you paid Rome enough money and and greased you know Herod's palms so the high priests were corrupt you learn that by the way in Maccabees you, you you see this process starting to unfold where the high priesthood and the high priests also, by the way, the kingship of Israel and, you know, so to speak, the, the authority and the high priesthood began to merge. Now, um, what happened was Herod uh, basically paid Rome off and they made him king he said, hey here's all this money and they said oh okay sure he'd be king so they made him king but under usual circumstances most of the power would be in the high priesthood and it was so you had this trifecta going on of underhanded sinister people um, ruling everything and it basically went from the high priesthood to Herod or actually from Rome to Herod to the high priesthood and back I mean it was just this nasty little triangle so to speak and there was probably some other players in there but those are definitely the main ones now the high priesthood um, convened the Sanhedrin. On the Sanhedrin, it was the ruling council of um, Israel. And by the way, Rome was pretty much happy with you doing your own little thing as long as it didn't mess with their laws. They didn't allow people to do capital punishment. Part of that had to do with the fact that you couldn't do capital punishment necessarily on someone who was a born a Roman, and you could be born a Roman. So if they just let that go, then there was entirely the possibility that they could grab somebody who was a Roman and, and be in a whole bunch of trouble. But there, scholars go back and forth. Did the Sanhedrin you know, have power to kill people? Did they not? You know, to be honest with you, let them keep arguing it's a mute point but here's the thing now what does this got to do with Jesus Jesus's interactions with the high priests is very limited it's very limited um, you do have the table flipping incident and by the way 
because they're listed differently in certain Gospels, they even believe that maybe there was two incidences where Jesus did some table flipping in the uh, in the courtyard of the temple. And by the way, that, that was massive. It was like 200 acres. All right, it was huge. This area. So people people think of it as you know this little bitty courtyard. You know, just like this little bitty, you know, like a king, like like King Arthur Court or something. No, 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 no. It's massive. Massive, huge area. But here's the thing. So we know there was a table flipping incident, and that really hacked the high priest off. Why? Mainly because of the money. Uh, these guys were organized crime. They were absolute organized crime. That's why they just broke hell wide open. No matter what their title was, no matter how many times that they tried to confess or what have you, because they were unrepentant and they weren't really sorry for anything they did, by the way. And also, most of the high priesthood came from the Sadducees, and Sadducees did not believe a lot of having to do with the afterlife. They believed everything was pretty much here and now. Well, then they were like, whoa, you know. Well, let's just get it now, then. Let's just, you know, take care of all this jazz right here. So anyway, you you don't see a lot of situations where Jesus is going at it. I mean, in the entirety of the gospel. You can go in and you can add it up. How many times he and the high priest went at it? Now, it does say chief priests couple of times. But even if you look at that with the entirety of the gospel, not a whole lot. Now, also, the Sadducees. Sadducees were very powerful because that was kind of where the high priest's thought processes were. They were all into the uh, five books of Moses. They didn't believe anything else. They didn't believe in the afterlife. So they were experts in the book, five books of Moses, which basically, you know, had a lot of teaching, good teaching, about how you're supposed to live, and then they just doubled down on it and made people crazy. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't have a lot of interaction with the Sadducees either. I mean, period. In fact, there were times... Uh, even at the end, during the uh, crucifixion process of, of the interrogations he went through prior to being crucified, he didn't say uh, very much to the Romans. He didn't say very much to the high priest. He didn't say have anything to say to Herod. Or at least, you know, I think it was Herod Antipas, maybe. But, uh, anyway... Because his kingdom was in the world, but not of the world. His kingdom was the rule of Jesus in everyone who accepted him. So, 
and and this is something that, that scholars kind of scratch their head over as well. You know, okay, was Jesus's kingdom, you know, uh, temporal? You know, was there a time limit on it? Was it spatial? Did it have a, a, a area it occupied? Well, the Jewish answer is usually yes, yes to all of that. The main occupation that Jesus had in expanding his kingdom in the world was in his people. Then his people affect the world by doing his will. Now, how do you know what his will is? You read the word. You read the word. It's there. Jesus was a Jew. He believed and memorized the Old Testament. He was living it. So, when you, when people want to grab Jesus and uh, stick him on a pedestal, and, and basically, and, and of course he he belongs on the, on a pedestal, a, a huge one. Well, actually, he doesn't. He belongs on a throne, and he's got one. And we'll get to see it one day, believe me. But the issue is, what is it, you know, about the politics? You know, how do you do that? Well, you follow his word. Jesus' kingdom, he is the king of whoever belongs in his kingdom. If you are his disciple, you are his subject. If you are his subject, he is your king, and you are obligated, obligated to do his will. How do you find out his will? You read his word. What do you mean his word? I mean the Bible in its entirety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that's why. It disturbs me greatly when you have a pastor who really doesn't like to study. Well, what, what, what are you good at? What, I mean, what, I mean, what do you, what do you? So you're a pastor. Why? What do you, what do you got to bring? Well, I can get up there and I can preach. Well, oh, well, goodness alive! Knock yourself out so you can get up and spew something from from a from a podium. Now, and this is my, cute, my my speech communication stuff coming out right now. Okay, I'm just gonna have to say it because th this irritates me huge, and it works this way. We put people because public speaking is such a fear for people. I mean, literally, people like listed it as like in the top five public speaking. Anytime we see some goomba who who can get up and spew juice from their face from a pulpit or a podium, we think, oh man, that's, oh, that's really awesome. Wow, that's fantastic. Man, that may be the stupidest thing on the planet. You don't even know. Just because somebody can get up behind a pulpit and t say something that sounds cogent, just so they can add one and one and, and get two from a pulpit or a podium doesn't mean they know what they're talking about. 
please. Uh, so, you know, a lot of pastors get hired on the simple fact that they can get up and just say stuff. And some of the stuff is garbage. Not all of it, but I mean, it, you know, it, the issue is, is they need to be a scholar before they get up there. And I mean a biblical scholar. You need someone who, who who knows how to do more than just shoot Bible verses out of their face over every little subject on the planet. Where did the verse come from? Who wrote it? Why did he write it? Why did they write it? Who did they write it to? What was the context? What came before it? What came after it? Why is it even a verse? Why do we memorize this verse? They need to know stuff. That's what a pastor brings. Because they're supposed to equip. And somebody that gets up and just spews stuff out of their face ain't equipping nobody. Not necessarily. Okay? They can. But that is a person that needs to know the Word of God in its entirety, in depth. And it takes time and effort and study. So the minute you get a pastor, quote unquote, that says, Why well, ain't into all that stuff? I ain't into that Greek and Greek and Hebrew. So you're a goof? If you don't care about the, the, the actual um, languages that the Bible's written in, then I don't know what to say. That's bananas. Now, can you, you know, you don't have to read Greek and Hebrew and Latin and Aramaic fluently in order to preach the Word of God correctly. But you have to try to understand it. You have to be getting into the history, the culture, and the language. I'll be the first one to tell you, Hebrew is not easy to learn from somebody who's not English, you know, from not, not a Hebrew speaker. But it's not that hard. So here's the thing. Getting back to, I'm starting to go on the diatribe, but here's the deal. Jesus could preach. And Jesus could teach. And he could do both at the same time. Why? Because he knew the word. Upside down, backwards, and forwards. He knew it. He was probably very familiar, because most people were with Greek. Of course, he knew Hebrew. And he knew Aramaic. So here's the thing. Was he at odds with the political system? Well, think of it this way. Is a doctor at odds with cancer? Yeah, they are. So, what do they do? Do they just pour gasoline on it and set it on fire and burn it all out? Well, they remove it. They're a lot more selective about that. 
what we do is we they usually put something in the patient that will go and kill the bad junk the bad ideas or uh, excuse me the bad cells which in this situation would be the bad ideas the bad motives the bad efforts that cure is the word of God that's why Jesus preached so much that's why Jesus taught so much that's why Jesus didn't just come down and die and leave I mean, has anybody ever even considered the, the thought process that why did Jesus stay all those years? I mean, he could have just showed up. I'm, I'm here. To, I'm here to die. Boom, die and resurrect, and then boom, back to heaven. Could have been pretty quick. He didn't do that. Why? Because he's interacting. He's teaching. He is inoculating the planet with the word of God his words in the spirit of God his spirit and that is what will cure it and he is the king over his people and he'll take his people with him and then everyone that's not his people it's going to be bad so, with that thought, I want to encourage you to please study the Word. Get to know the King. Get to know the King's Word, what He said, and what He believed, which is the Old Testament. And keep on keeping on. edition of Speak It On. And as always, don't be afraid to speak the word in boldness and truth. And may God bless all of your efforts.